0: We are actually wrapping up a series that we started a number of weeks ago. And the series is titled Commitment Matters. And today specifically we're going to look at commitment to the Lord Jesus. Okay, so we talked about commitment in our work. We talked about commitment in relationships. We talked about commitment in a number of different areas. But today specifically our commitment to the Lord Jesus. Now obviously when I say that, I'm speaking first to believers because if you've not accepted Christ as your Savior, you're not uh, living for Him, you have no commitment at all to Him. Okay, But if you're here today and you're not a believer, you're going to receive something from this message too. Trust me. But I'm going to say some things today that may feel a little bit hard or a little bit pushy. Those are towards believers. Okay, Because I believe as believers... We are required to have commitment to the Lord Jesus. And, of course, I'm going to give you scripture to show you that today. Why the commitment is so important. I want to start first by giving you the definition of commitment. You see, the definition of commitment is the act of binding yourself to a course of action, no matter the cost or outcome. When someone's committed, they say, this is what I'm doing, this is where I'm going, there's no stopping me. When you meet a committed person, you're like, wow, this person's going to accomplish things because they set themselves to reach the goal no matter what. I want to read a bit of a story to start us off. And I titled the story, Commitment for Life No Matter What. Here he was again being threatened for acting on his faith in the Lord. Once again, if he chose to stand for or act on what he believed, he just might lose it all. He might even lose his life. You see, he had gotten into politics at a young age, and it wasn't his idea. But he knew he was where God wanted him. He had been placed in this arena to affect extremely powerful leaders and even change the course of history. History. For believers all across the land you see at a young age his parents had taught him the word of God memorization repetition had caused the word of God to be locked in and early on he had made a commitment that he would serve the Lord with his life for the rest of his life no matter what he had heard powerful ministers of God's word tell the people over and over when you serve God there's a blessing When you refuse and rebel, there's a curse. He remembered hearing one prophet in particular who declared loud and clear to everyone, even the political leaders, that God was going to punish the nation if the people wouldn't turn from sin. Of course, people who loved their sin hated that prophet, and political leaders tried to kill him. But as he thought on these things, He remembered how his parents had taught him to serve the Lord, and yet he lived in a nation who refused to serve the Lord. He was not the common young person of his day, but he was committed and he was strong and he was bold. And the judgment that that prophet that they hated had said came to pass when he was only 16 years old. And yes, the story we're talking about is a a man named Daniel from the Bible. And as Daniel sat and thought back to those early years, thinking of how his country was destroyed and so many taken captive, including himself, he remembered the early times in his life where he stood strong on his commitment to serve God no matter what. In the face of death, he said, no, I'm doing it this way because that's the way my God says And now here he was, an advisor to the third world leader. You see, he'd end up becoming an advisor to not one, not two, not three, but four leaders who ruled the then known world. And he never wavered in his faith. But yet never wavering in his faith, he also showed great respect and dedication to those leaders above him. But Darius, the leader in charge, now had been tricked into passing a law that forbid anyone to pray to any god. If Daniel prayed, he would be thrown into a den of hungry lions. A sure, painful, gruesome death. We're not told what Daniel thought, but maybe in his mind he wondered, maybe I should just pray secretly. Nobody would know, it wouldn't cause a problem. Or maybe he thought to himself, Lord, can't you find somebody younger to stand up and make a difference and then get eaten by lions? You see, Daniel was 81 years old and he'd been in politics from the time he was 16. He'd been advisors to kings and he'd stood his ground and he'd sacrificed. And he, through the advice he had given, caused God's people, God's nation, to be rebuilt to come back to him. But none of it would have happened if he'd had no commitment. But here he was now, possibly thinking these things, why, why me again? But Daniel already knew what he was going to do. He would stay committed and serve God boldly, no matter what the outcome. No matter what his age, whether 16 or 81, it made no difference, because he had committed to serving God with his life for his entire life. Church commitment matters. You see if you're a believer, you've accepted Christ, if you did it thinking, well, I'll just do it as long as it's good, and you know as long as everything's fun, you'll quit. If you came to this thinking, well, if the music is good, you know, like entertainment, if the entertainment is good, I'll stay. You'll quit. Well, if it's never difficult, you know, if it's never tough, you will quit. You see, commitment says, I'm going to do this. I know it's the right thing, no matter what. When I read through Scripture, specifically the New Testament, I see that we are actually required to commit our lives to the Lord Jesus when we accept Him as our Savior, And I'll explain a little more about that after. We are actually told in Scripture that commitment is a part of the Christian life. Matthew 4 and verse 17 says this. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The first point of commitment to every person who says yes to Jesus is the commitment to repent. Let me say that again. The first point of commitment when you say yes to Jesus is the commitment to repent from sin. What does repent mean? It means to turn 180 degrees from the direction you were going and go the direction God says. Repent. Jesus preached, repent. Often when we read Scripture, we think about the many miracles He did, and they were amazing healings, and even people raised from the dead. Sometimes we forget Jesus also preached. And His message, according to this book, was turn from sin. It's not necessarily a popular message. People don't become famous on YouTube for preaching repent. But it's okay. We're not here to be famous. We're here to see lives changed. To see people truly walk the life they were created to walk. To walk in joy and freedom. And freedom doesn't come without first preaching repent. You see, none of the miracles happened until Jesus first began to preach repent. You didn't think of that, did you? It's God's word. But let me give you another scripture, Jesus speaking. Matthew 11 and verse 20. It said, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles, because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, for if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago. Clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better on judgment day, better off on judgment day than you. Again, we know Jesus spoke of love and we know that his heart was for those who were in sin and yet here he speaks a message and he is saying... Almost you can catch the hint in his voice of sadness. Why? These cities that he had gone to and done these miracles of feeding the 5,000 and uh, leprosy healed and cripples being able to walk. And they didn't repent. You see, his heart was for them to turn back to God, not just to clap at the amazing show. Not just to go home with stories of miracles, but to repent. And the people of Capernaum, in verse 23, Will you be honored in heaven? No. You will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom would be better off on Judgment Day than you. Okay. Let me help you understand what he's saying here. You see, Tyre and Sidon were cities in the Old Testament that the prophets prophesied against because of their wickedness, because of their following and worshiping a false god named Baal. And the prophets had said, you guys are in big trouble, judgment's coming. And now Jesus stands up and said, if I'd been there, they'd have repented. And no judgment would come. Then he continues on and he says, if I had been in Sodom, and Sodom was a city that was judged by fire for its sexual immorality. And Jesus is saying if they had seen the power that he possessed and the miracles he did, they would have still been there, meaning they would have repented. They would have turned from their sin. Can I say something right now? Sin is not your identity. Sin is something that you get involved in, something that, yes, can take a hold of you and ruin your life, but it is not your identity. It is not who you are. And yes, it can be turned from. I'm not going to go into detail this morning on this part, but I can tell you this if you want to read a little more about the sin and what the sin was that they could have turned from. You can read it on your own if you want to write these verses. The book of Jude, verse 7, Genesis chapter 18 and 19, and also 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. Luke 5 and verse 30. Their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, "'Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?' Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why did Jesus come? To put on a big show. Why did Jesus come according to this scripture? That sinners would repent. We're not asking you to come to Jesus so you can fill a chair and make us feel good. We're asking you to come to him so he can forgive you and change your life. And the first step to a changed life is saying, I've had enough of this. I'm repenting. You see, repentance is a choice, not a feeling. Let me say that again. Repentance is a choice, not a feeling. Nobody feels like repenting. People don't repent when suddenly everything, else, yeah, I think I'm ready now. It just feels right. That's not how it works. You see, we have people here today who have made a choice to quit drugs or quit alcohol when their flesh still wanted it. Repentance is not a flesh decision. They made a choice to repent when their body and emotions were still telling them they couldn't live without it. You can ask them if you want. And for some, the only way they could turn from it and quit was to go to a dry-out center where it couldn't be accessed. And where there was a group surrounding them and helping them. They didn't stop and say, well, this is just who I am because I feel like every morning I want it. So that's just me. My identity, I am a drug addict. No, they turned when they didn't feel like it because they knew it was the right thing to do, not because it felt right. And I have some good news for you. Anybody can turn. Will it be easy if you've been stuck in some kind of sin for a long time? It won't be easy. You need people around you who are willing to pray with you, hold you accountable, and yes, you may even need to go somewhere where you're away from it all for a while. But don't you dare stay there. That is not what God created you for. Can I say that again? That is not what God created you for. He did not create you to be an alcoholic, barely able to function, going from work to drinking to work to drinking to work to drinking. He didn't create you for that. And the problem with sin is it starts out its pleasurable but it says the pleasure of sin only lasts for a season a short time and then it takes you where you don't want to go but i am so thankful today that god has made it possible for us to ask him to come in and to help us turn if you're here today and you're struggling with something you are in the right place The Lord Jesus' power and those around will gather with you. You will find somebody wanting to be accountable with you. You You'll find those who want to encourage you to move on. This is a new day for some people here. I feel it. This is a new season for some. You're not here by accident. This is not a typical message. I'm preaching a message maybe that's a little more in there, a little more right to the point. This is not an accident. Maybe for one, God is going to do a miracle and take every desire away. He's done it. But for many, they've just turned when they didn't feel like it. They said, take me, Lord, where you want me to go. I know a young man who decided he didn't want to smoke anymore. He made the decision. He told me that he hasn't smoked for over four years. He just didn't want to anymore. He knew it wasn't good for his health. And yet he told me when he gets in a room and smells smoke, his body still thinks he wants it. Repentance is not a feeling, it's a choice. And my friend, it is a good choice. If you've said yes to Jesus, you are also saying yes to repenting. They go together. I feel saddened to tell you that sometimes in our Christian walk, our Christian faith, People are preaching Christianity without repentance. And people are like, well, yeah, I said this little prayer, but I still live however I want. Then you missed the point. He wants to take you into a new life. And repentance is the beginning of that new life. Will you fail? Sure. Will you have times where it "Ah, it didn't work? Don't ever quit. You keep walking the path towards where you know God wants you to go. And you find people that will walk with you. People that will walk with you because they love you. And church, even though I'm preaching kind of, I don't know, maybe someone would say, that's a little hard. I want you to know I love you. When I talk to my kids and say, hey, you can't do that. It's going to destroy you. I sometimes have to talk a little firm. It's because I love them. I don't tell them, do whatever you feel like. That's how you have kids that wind up in jail. Whatever you feel like is not scriptural. Whatever you feel like is something that the devil himself promoted right from the beginning. Right from the garden he promoted it. When he gave that fruit and said, oh, you need this, you'll be like God. And it looked so good. (laughs) And it tasted so good. Romans 6 and verse 11. So, you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Don't give in. I want to say something so everybody here can know something. We are all at the same place when it comes to sin, there is nobody here who has not been tempted. There's also nobody here who has probably not sinned because Scripture says all have sinned. Somebody's lied, no doubt about it. You didn't want to tell the truth because you were afraid, so you lied. That's sin just as much as somebody who murdered. Did you know that? So God is not looking at us at different levels here this morning. He's not like, oh, that guy's really bad. or that. No, he's looking at us. There's my kids. They've all messed up. They've all been tempted. But... I sent my son to pay a price and I have made a way for every single one of them to come back to relationship with me. Every single one of them, no matter where they're at. That is good news, church. Very good news. And when you say yes to him, that turning begins and I can tell you what, it's going to be tough, but it's going to be rewarding. Tough, but Rewarding. We are also, according to Scripture, committed to obey Jesus. So commitment to repentance and commitment to obedience. I am really picking all the words today that society really doesn't like anymore. <laughs> obey, that's like a bad word. Well, it's scriptural. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, obey my commandments. Obedience simply means following what the Lord has said. John 15 and verse 12. I'm going to move fairly quick here this morning. This is my commandment. Love each other the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And finally, 1 Peter 1 and 22. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Okay, so I hope you're getting from this. Obedience is important, and the greatest form of obedience is showing love to one another. Okay, so don't ever forget it, and that's not tough to do. You see, the disciples that followed Jesus, they called him Lord. The word Lord means master. When those disciples chose to follow Jesus, they were automatically saying, I will do whatever you say, I will obey you. You see, culturally in that time frame, there were people who wanted to learn and become greater. They would follow a powerful person. And they would call a master, teacher, Lord. And they would actually go with them and they were saying immediately, I'll do whatever you say. You didn't follow if you didn't want to do what they said. And that was the same with the disciples when they followed Jesus, and that's why they called him Lord and Master. It was a term that meant, you're my master. You tell me what to do, I will do it. You tell me to jump, and I'll say how high. Now, I am talking about the Lord here, in case anybody's getting confused. The pastor's not going to say jump, and you should say how high. That is not where this is going. I'm talking about the Lord. And his word is part of where he obey, uh, tells us, and we obey. Okay? So, we, each of us, needs to be willing to obey him as his followers. As well, I believe that we are supposed to be committed to follow wherever Jesus leads. Now, all of these kind of connect the obeying and the following where he leads, but I want to hit this one specifically because this is super important. And there may be one or two that God is calling you to something totally different and you didn't realize, okay? So, commitment to where he leads no matter the cost. Luke 18, 28, then Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. So he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. The disciples said, Lord, we will follow you wherever you want, and their following meant they left everything behind. When Jesus called those fishermen They left their nets, their boats, and even their family, their father. And they went and they said, okay, here we are. Jesus asked, they said, yes. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is he saying? There are times when we need to boldly say, Lord, I'll go the path you're saying, even though it feels like I'm leaving all my good plans behind. So in a way, it feels like, wow, I'm dying. I'm leaving all those dreams and plans I had, and I'm saying yes to you. And then he says, you do that, and oh my goodness, you're going to have the life that I created you for. It may be different than your plan, but it will be good today you and i can hear the lord's directing through his word but also by the holy spirit and we're talking a little more specific now in this point the holy spirit may lead and direct you to do something or go somewhere that you didn't actually think of and that directing happens by the holy spirit and scripture calls it the still small voice The Holy Spirit will speak directly to your thoughts and your heart and say, hey, I need you to do this. He may speak also through dreams or visions, but He will speak. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak His own, but will tell you what He has heard. He will tell you about the future. Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. And you and I, if I can encourage you, don't drown out the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Don't get so busy you can't hear it, and don't ignore it because you don't like what you're hearing. The Holy Spirit will speak, and as you grow in your faith, you'll begin to understand it more. Luke 30, or excuse me, Isaiah 30 and 21 says, Your ears will hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. When to turn to the left and when to turn to the right. That's some serious good direction, and he wants to direct you in that. I want to read the second half of the story about Daniel at this point, and then after that, I've got a little bit more I want to share with you. So Daniel, at 81 years old, has been threatened. If he prays at all, he's going to be thrown in a den of lions. But Daniel knows that he is not going to quit serving God, and he's going to serve Him the same as he's always done. And Daniel goes to his place of residence, He opens the window wide, as he's always done, and he prays to his God. He used to pray three times a day, openly, and he does it again. The other presidents and political leaders who caused the king to pass this law are quick to run to the king and say, guess what? Daniel disobeyed your law. You see, they created the law to get Daniel in trouble because they were jealous of him. And the king, when he hears this, is like, no, 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 not Daniel. You see, the king, even though he was not yet a believer, loved Daniel. He saw the wisdom in him, and he was watching him and realizing there's something about this guy's God. He must be real. And the king tells Daniel, there's no way for me to get out of it, Daniel. You have to go and be thrown in this den of lions. But the king makes this comment to Daniel. He says, Daniel, your God who you serve continually, he will deliver you. I find this an interesting statement from an unbeliever. It was a statement with a little bit of hope. I think he was saying, Daniel, I hope the God you serve can deliver you because I got no choice. And they throw Daniel into the den of lions. The king comes with the other lords and political leaders. They throw him in the den. They push a stone over. And it said they sealed it. The king sealed it with his own signet. In other words, the stone can't be moved. If this signet's broken, if this wax is broken, somebody's moved the stone. They were going to make sure that Daniel was eaten by hungry lions. Darius spends the night in fasting and prayer. He's worried for Daniel, and he, he, he really cares about Daniel. He's been watching him while he works. He knows that this is a man who has a real God. The night passes without sleep, without food, and Darius and the Lord's head out to the lion's cave with the rock over it once again. Daniel's been thrown in. They move the stone, and the king calls in, With a sorrowful voice, it tells us. In other words, he doesn't have much hope, but you never know. And he says, Daniel, has the God you continually serve delivered you from the mouth of the lions? And he hears this. O king, live forever! The God I serve has closed, sent an angel and closed the mouths of the lions. Woo! It says that the king rejoiced. I wish I could have been there at that moment. I would have, it would have been something to see. Here they are, the king and the other lords who made this law And they're listening and all of a sudden they hear his voice. The king is like, Daniel's alive! And the lords are going, this is impossible. Oh no. And if you've read the rest of the story, the other lords get thrown in and the hungry lions devour them. But something amazing happens after this. You see, Darius, the king of the then known world, You see, there was a one-world power that ruled all living people at that time, and he was the ruler, and Daniel was his right-hand man, a man who served God with commitment no matter what. And Darius publicly declares that I'm a believer of God now. I'm a believer, and then he declares, everybody in my kingdom must reverence and fear this God, the one true living God, he says, The God of Daniel or Daniel's God. Wow. When I hear that, when I think about that, what a testimony. A young man who decided for his life he would take a stand to live for God. And now here is the king of the entire world at that time saying, I want everybody to serve Daniel's God. Church, can I ask you a question would the people around you ever have opportunity to say, I want to serve your God? Do they know you have a God? Do they know your God is real by how you act and talk? Because I believe this is what God wants. He wants to hear people say, I want what you will have. I don't know what you have. I want it. I want to serve your God. Will people say that about you? Are you committed enough that people will look and say, I want what you have. I don't know where you work. I don't know where God has placed you. But he most definitely wants you to be committed. And the good news, church, when you're committed, God declares that he has rewards for you. Rewards are good. It's kind of like getting a paycheck, you know, at the end of two weeks. It's good. God also says, I will reward you if you're committed to me. You're not doing it for nothing. His rewards are great. Daniel was rewarded with the lion's mouths were shut. But he went in there with the eat me, the eat me. Yes, Lord, I'd love for you to set, you know, those mouths shut. But his commitment didn't matter. That's where he was going. You and I, God has rewards for us as well. We read earlier in Luke 18 how Peter said they had left everything, and Jesus said, I'm going to bless you now a hundred times more, but also there's going to be blessings in heaven. And church, we don't even know what those rewards and blessings could be. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says it's written, Eye has never seen, ear has never heard, and it hasn't even entered into our hearts the things which he's prepared for those who love him. Now, that's a reward if you can't even imagine it. That, my friend, is worth it. The rewards of heaven. In Revelation twenty-two twelve, Jesus tells us clearly that he's coming soon, and he's bringing his reward with him. There's a payday. Can I say that? As I close this morning, I need to mention once again, as we have in every message of this series, The greatest commitment of all time was made by Jesus himself. And he made it for you and I when we didn't even know. He made it for you and I when we were still sinners. When we were still doing our own thing. You see, he came down with the purpose of dying on a cross to take our place. Payment for our sin before we even committed it. Payment for those who went before and those who would come after. Payment that we should have taken. They took him and they whipped him and beat him. And he took it. You see, Jesus was committed to the cross. Nothing would change it. They beat him, they whipped him, they hit him with rods. They put a crown of thorns on his head and beat it down. Then they walked him to the hill of Golgotha. He carried that cross for some time and finally they gave it to another man because he could no longer walk. They hung him on that cross in front of everybody. The King of kings and Lord of lords and they despised him. And then they began to mock him. He's not who he says he is. He's a liar. Jesus in pain And near the point of death, looked out over the people, which could have easily been you and I. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Maybe you're here today and you've spent some time in life not even realizing what you were getting into. Jesus is looking at you right now and saying, hey, I love you. You didn't know what you were doing. I'm paying the price. And I want to give you a free gift. If you're here today and you're saying, I want that. I want what Jesus paid for. I want to be able to turn and have a new life. There's just one way to receive it. It's simple. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says if you speak it with your mouth and you believe it in your heart, you'll be saved. When we finish our service here, we always take an opportunity to pray a simple prayer. If you're here today and you're like, hey, I don't understand it all, but I want what Jesus had. I want this. Then I'm going to encourage you to pray this prayer after me, to repeat it after. This will be the beginning of something brand new. This will be the beginning of your freedom. This will be the beginning of your new life, the beginning of a new season with him. I'm going to ask the church to join me. We're not trying to embarrass anybody or make anybody to stare at anybody. So if you'd bow with me, and I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I ask you now, forgive me of all my sin. Make me new. Give me strength to repent. I thank you, Jesus, for a new life, a new season. Amen.